Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> You're in the ball. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est bon, c'est You found the dogs. John, you found the dogs. He found the dogs. And all together they worked the young team to the top. And now a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group, driven to be different. TV. embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination. It's going to be sick. Marinero, the sick podcast on this Thursday, February 8th. How is everyone doing? I hope you are doing well. The sick podcast brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group, a leading full service logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different. Also brought to you in part by these guys right over here, La Bit at TB. You see them brewed in Quebec and a winner of a dozen international awards. La Bit at TB offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bit at TB, embrace your true nature. And also brought to you in part by Playground with over 30,000 square feet of new gaming, dining, and entertainment space. It's time to reacquaint yourself with the new Playground. World-class sushi, AAA stakes, live shows, a brand new poker floor, and so much more. Located just over the Mercia Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal Playground. Playground experience the strip without the trip. Speaking of which, next Saturday, not this Saturday, but the Saturday after that, on Saturday, February 17th, I will be at Playground, so will Agnello Cavallaro, and of course, so will Sammy Cavallaro, because it's going to be Sammy's first annual poker tournament, with proceeds going to Cure SMA, Cure Spinal Muscular Atrophy. It's going to be a night of poker, beverages, and good times, a lot of laughter, and a lot of Montreal Canadiens talk. I'm sure it all gets underway at 6 p.m. on Saturday, February 17th, to purchase your tickets. The number to call, write this down, is 514-219-2725. That's 514-219-2725. Special thanks to everyone watching on YouTube Live, Facebook Live, and Twitter Live, My Sick Army, My Sick Community. Without further ado, let's bring in a guy that is usually a regular collaborator on Wednesdays, but we're able to accommodate and get him on today on Thursday of TSN, Hockey Analyst and Director of Scouting, Craig Button. How are you? I am good, Tony. I'm I'm really good. Back from Mexico, refreshed, rejuvenated, nice, relaxing nine days, and now we're right back at it. So it's good to it's good to be back, and it's good to just get that little bit of uh, of, of that downtime to just refresh. So, how was the uh, the ocean water before we start talking about the Habs and a little bit of hockey here? Because I went to Mexico once in my life. Uh, I remember it's the first time I'd ever taken a vacation, I think, at around early December. 
I think I went on the 10th or something like that. And I said to my wife, I'm a little bit worried about the weather. She said, no, no, don't worry about it. I read all the reviews. It's great. I put my feet in the water. I thought I was dying of hypothermia. I came out and that was it. It was freezing. Now, wait a sec. You go in December, you're leaving freezing Montreal, and you're telling me that you were getting hypothermia by putting your feet into the well, water in Mexico? I, 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 like, to, I, I like to exaggerate. Yeah. To yeah. <laughs> A little bit of embellishment, eh? Uh, the water was great, honestly. I, like, the weather, yeah. beautiful weather, no clouds in the yeah. sky, you know, 28, 31 every single day. You know, you got to be careful when, when you're in the sun. I mean, where, where you're at in uh, Cabo, which is where, uh, you know, you have uh, the, the Pacific Ocean. Parts of parts of the beach are unswimmable because of the undertow, and then you got to you got to be in on, on parts of the beach that are swimmable. And the water is pleasant. The water is really really pleasant, and certainly I would encourage you to go down there. You will not suffer from hypothermia by putting your feet in that water down there. It's funny because you're my guest tonight, and Eric Engels of Sportsnet Sportsnet.ca was my guest last night. And he was in Mexico last week as well. So we can tell who's making the money. It's not the guy hosting the <laughs> podcast. It's the collaborators. Hey, hey, um, hey, 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 hey. Now, listen, you know what? Everybody needs a little bit of time for some R&R, &R, right? And, you're right. You know, you're right where, were you, where, were you, where, where were you during Christmas? I bet you you were at home with your true. lovely wife and your family. And you're, oh, oh, he opened himself up. Yeah. yeah I was in yeah. Sweden working. I, I guess I guess the host of this program is uh, doing okay, too. You need R&R. &R, I need R&R. &R. You save up for it, and you try to get away when, it's, when, when you can really enjoy it. Here, here. Okay, look, there's uh, no shortage of topics tonight when it comes to the Montreal Canadiens uh, who had a practice earlier this morning at 10.30 at the CN Complex. They'll have another one tomorrow at 10.30. And then, of course, it's the uh, weekend of matinee games. On Saturday, they'll host Dallas. On Sunday, they'll host St. Louis on what is Super Bowl weekend, which has become a tradition of sorts of having these matinee games over I don't know how many years. Uh, the, the story of last game, there's a couple, but one of the biggest stories of last game was Uri Slavkowski, who had his first multi-goal game in the National Hockey League. He scored two. One was off a quick snap in close. One was off a one-timer slap shot on the power play um, just above the dots, and he really wired it. And and you know what? Uh, we, we got word that probably, what, three or four weeks ago, Slavkowski was working with a shooting coach. Uh, Glenn Dr. Shot Tucker, they call him, who has worked with a lot of premier scorers in the National Hockey League, one of which is Boston Bruins' David Pasternak. And, you know, we had heard that Slavkowski had a good shot. We hadn't really seen it. We saw it last game, Craig. It was pretty encouraging. Yeah, and that, encouraging is a great word. And, you know, players come into the league and, and they've been really good players at the levels below them and they've had success uh, to, to different degrees and different extents. When you come to the National Hockey League and the defending's a lot harder, uh, the goaltenders are more difficult to beat. So the fact, I, I think what's really encouraging is, is that Uri, you know, he, he has this uh, competitive level and determination level that's right at the top of the charts. I mean, he, and he wants to be the best he possibly can be. So the fact that he goes out and he seeks help and, and, you know, is, is, is Slavkowski going to become a 50 goal scorer? You know, I don't think anybody would project that for him, but you can always look at areas of your game where you can improve how to get your shot off a little bit quicker, how to lean into a shot mechanics to go with it. And certainly 
as a as a 19 year old player you, you you're now looking for for help and you're looking for instruction that can help you be that much better in, in different areas so if that if that helps him improve like let, let, let's say it just helps him improve 20 percent and and let's say we have him as a as a as a 25 goal scorer well that that, that gets him near 30 goals now and and now what you're looking at is that you're you're improving and you know everybody thinks that like a a twenty percent improvement oh like that that is significant but if you're going from twenty five to thirty that puts you in a different realm and it, and my dear friend the late Brad McCrimmon used to talk about you know everybody was looking for twenty goals and he said well if we can get two or three goals out of each forward, we're going to get more than 20 goals back in our lineup. So a player, Slavkovsky in this case, working to improve, adding more more ability and, and, and more prowess to, to a shot is only going to help him. It's only going to help the team. And you have to uh, really, really tip your hat to your eye at this point in his career to be looking at those different areas. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to be a little bit better here. I'm going to be a little bit better there. Because overall – you're now going to get a more improved and more impactful player. You know, we haven't stopped talking about that 2022 NHL entry draft, and we're probably going to talk about it for quite some time. Um, it was an interesting draft, to say the least, because the Montreal Canadiens had the first pick overall. They picked Slavkowski, of course, who's played 89 NHL games, a lot more games than anyone else that was drafted in that draft year. Simon Nemitz of uh, the New Jersey Devils defenseman went number two. He's played 27. Logan Cooley has played 48 games. Um, Shane Wright has played 11 NHL games. David Yerchek played 40, was sent down. Uh, Kevin Korczynski has played 45 with the Chicago Blackhawks. Marco Kaspers played one. Matthew Savoy has played one. Uh, Pavel Mintyukov has played 40. And a little bit later down the, uh, the list at 20 overall, Mirshenchenko of uh, Washington has played four. Um, Yuri Kulich of the Buffalo Sabres has played one. Uh, Owen Beck of the Montreal Canadiens at 33rd overall played one. Fraser Minton of Toronto played four. And Tristan Luneau of the Anaheim Ducks, who went 53rd, has played seven. And Matthew Poitras of the Boston Bruins, who went 54, has played 33 NHL games. Renault Lavoie, who I work with at TVA Sports, I believe it was yesterday, said that right now, it's an interesting opinion, and I love people with opinions, right now, with the run that Uri Slavkowski is on, I think it's 14 or 15 points in his last 18 games or something to that effect, that there's no comparison between Slavkowski and Cooley. Having said that, Cooley's got a couple of more points in a couple of less games. Would you be willing to go that far? Yeah, I mean, it's what you got to keep in mind, and, and you got to remember. I mean, there's a, there, there's a couple exceptions uh, to. I mean, Menchikov has has aged out of of uh, under twenty play because he was a late birthday. Yeah, these are all teenagers. They're all teenagers. The vast majority, the vast majority of players drafted in twenty twenty two haven't shown that they're ready. Uh, to be in the NHL, and and even ones that are in the NHL are, are, are at different stages of development, and 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 certainly more uh, more development and more seasoning that's needed for them to realize their potential. So, you know, it, it, it's interesting that it, as time goes on, you people want to judge, you know, based on very small sample sizes. 
and you know the numbers you put out for Yaroslavkovsky. Well, he 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 was the first overall pick. He played lots of games. He ended up getting hurt and everything. But you got to start measuring apples versus apples. And until other players start to be able to play, you know, a, a number of games and start to show that they can hold their own in the NHL and be given the opportunity, they're going to have to earn that opportunity. I I, I, I think making declarations like that are, are, are certainly premature. That's what I would say. I'm not going to say they're wrong because I, I don't know that. I mean, Renault might very well be right, but, but, but I will say definitively they're very premature. So what has Slavkowski showed you? Well, I think what you're right, and, and, and I, I think it goes hand in hand with the Montreal Canadiens' plan for him, Marty St. Louis' handling of him and, and, and putting him into spots, and then you're right. You know, earlier in the year, you know, I, I, you know, having, you know, watching Montreal and watching Uri, he, he, he looked like he was still being overwhelmed by the pace, the speed, the, the, the level of play. Marty St. Louis, and, and, and he, he talked about this. He talked about putting him on the power play, letting him get puck touches. You know, that gives him a little bit better opportunity to, to have the puck. It, you know, Marty was already talking about development phase at that point in time. You know, Kent Hughes talked earlier about we're not sending him down. We feel that this is the best place for him to work. And, you know, you watch and you, and you can see at times that, he, that, that, he's, that he's not able to be at the level uh, of what you would call a, a, a really productive NHL player. But over the course of time and, you know, the game in L.A. and I, I was on the broadcast that game. And I mean, he would I mean, the game in San Jose prior to that back to back games. It was really impressive to watch Uri Slavkowski. It was it was massively impressive to watch how, how you could see you know a, a, a more assertive player and, and and with it a more confident player, and that just feeds itself. It becomes a vicious circle. You know, I'm more confident, therefore I'm going to be more assertive. I'm more assertive. I'm going to be more productive. I'm more productive. I'm going to become more confident, and it just feeds itself. And and, and that's what I've seen from Uri. And you know, we'd all and I'm guilty of it too. We'd all like to see a player and just say, okay, at this point in time, he is going to be that NHL player that's going to be productive. Everybody moves at different rates. And I think that you're right. Like I look at towards that American Thanksgiving stretch where I, where I really saw an uptick in, in your game. But Marty St. Louis was, was very patient with him last year, very patient with him this year in terms of allowing him to, to not – to not feel that like he, he's being diminished and you know you're always a proud player I mean when, when you're a top pick and you've been a top player you're proud and Marty really handled that I think exceptionally well I, and, and I think that you're starting to see the fruits of that and certainly you're right now you know you, you, you're, you're seeing somebody that goes out on the ice and he, he, he's no longer a player that's trying to look around finding his way he, he's a player that that, that, that says, Okay, this is my way. This is the, the, the this is what I know I can do, and and I think that's only going to continue to expand. It's like air going into a balloon. You start off the balloon's a little bit doesn't have enough air. It's not gonna it's not gonna stay in the air. You put a little bit more air in it, it can it can stay up a little bit. But as you put more air into it, it's got more ability to stay in the air and and float. And that's exactly what I see in Uri Slavkowski. And certainly, I think a lot of the air that's been put in his balloon 
uh, has been by Marty St. Louis working in that area to keep, to, as I point out, to not diminish them, not to take air out of that balloon. And I think you're seeing somebody that's really starting to, uh, to float, so to speak, in a really significant manner for the Montreal Canadiens. One of the things we do when talking about NHL players, I, I think as sports analysts, we, we, we kind of do it for any sport and any athlete, is we, uh, we have this tendency to try and find the comparable, all right? Uh, and in your eyes case, we talked about it, and, you know, he said um, when he was drafted that he thought, you know, the player that he'd want to be would be Mikko Rantanen. I'm going to take it a step further now and go from one player to one line. Suzuki, Caulfield, Slavkowski. Do they remind you of any other line? And what kind of line do you think that they can be? Do you think that they have the makings, the composition, the chemistry to be a line full-time together? And on a Stanley Cup contender, I mean, where would they fit on the depth chart? Yeah, I, listen, I, I, I think Nick Suzuki's a prime-time player. I, I zeros, Zero issues. I know there's lots of discussion about is Nick Suzuki a number one center Listen, I have no problem with Nick Suzuki as my number one center. I mean, it, it takes more than one center to be successful, and certainly that's an area that every team is trying to build upon. And uh, but Nick Suzuki, I mean, Cole Caulfield to me is an elite goal scorer, and, and and he shows that. And now you add the size of Slavkovsky, and I start to look at things in terms of how do players complement one another. You know, if you go back, and I'm I'm going to use a, an older comparison. You know, Mike Bossy was a great goal scorer. Great goal scorer. In my view, the best goal scorer that ever played in the NHL. I think he was the best. And it's not about the most goals, but I think the best goal scorer. You had Brian Trotche in the middle of the ice, who, who was a great two-way uh, center, a Hall of Famer. And then you had Clark Gillies, you know. And so, you know, the, the, Mike was is a little bit bigger than Cole, but Cole is, 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 a, is, a, is an excellent elite goal scorer. Nick controls the game in so many ways from the middle of the ice. And then you have the big man, in, in Uri Slavkovsky on the other side. So I, I, I think that Uri's ability to carve out space, to push his way, push defenders back, that allows, because Nick and Cole are such great, uh, uh, they have great understanding of the game. Their, their, their hockey sense and IQ is off the charts. So they're going to read off these things. and They're going to read about the opportunities to get into those spaces and make plays. And so I think there's lots of, Lots of uh, complementary parts to, to that trio. You, you know, I, I'm not saying they're Gillies, Trotche, and Bossy. I mean, they're all Hall of Famers. They won four Stanley Cups. We know what they did. But the ability for, for players to fit in with one another, and, and, and then what, what, what Cole Caulfield doesn't have, Slavkovsky has, and what Slavkovsky has, Cole Caulfield doesn't have. And Nick Suzuki, to me, the conductor in the middle of all that, knows how to get the best out of both those players and read off of it. That, to me, is a really, really, really good line, and certainly a line that, that, that I feel really comfortable with. I, I don't think the Montreal Canadiens – challenges going forward and when i say challenge i use that in a positive light tony i don't see their challenges going forward with whether nick suzuki's a first line center whatever the discussion is or cold cover i think it's about how you build behind them <laughs> or build around them if you want to call it you've heard me say this before the montreal canadian second line during those four straight stanley cups was lambert rice brown and trombley like yeah you know like it wasn't loaded with with you know uh, big points getter and, and every team and you got to look at what you have and, and and understand you know how you want to build your team and and what you what you want to do to give your team the best chance but I mean 
Peter Mahovlich, who was an excellent player, I mean, I'm sure there was times when people said, is he a number one center? All I know is, is along with Jacques Lemaire, they made Shut and Lafleur tick pretty good, and I think that's what Nick Suzuki does. I'll tell you a, a quick Mike Bossy story, if I can. The late, great Mike Bossy. Uh, when I started off in radio, uh, Chevrolet was having an event. I think it was called Chevrolet Safe and Fun Hockey or something like that anyway. Uh, and they brought in, of course, some former greats um, as, as, as public speakers and to put their face behind the event and as ba- and ambassadors. And Bobby Orr was one of them and Mike Bossy was another. And, uh, and they asked me to emcee the event, uh, the organizers of the event did. Uh, so I, I emceed the event, and that's where I got to know Mike Bossy because before we went out on the, uh, on the ice, uh, we, we spent some time in the locker room, so we, 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 you know, we had a little chat. And so I got to know Mike, and we exchanged numbers. And Mike, at one point, I believe, was the sales director, uh, if that was his title. If not, it was another title, at Humpty Dumpty. And uh, it wasn't too far away from my house. I, it was in Lachine, and I live in LaSalle. And uh, every now and then, I would give Mike a call, and he would say, come by. And I would go by, and I'd go in his office, and uh, we talk about scoring goals, and we talk about uh, power plays. Mike at the time had offered his services to several teams, but he really wanted to work with the Montreal Canadiens to help their power play as either a power play coach or a power play consultant. Unfortunately, that call and that opportunity never came. And I remember asking Mike if you can teach goal scoring. And because a lot of people believe that goal scorers are born and, uh, and uh, you don't become one. And he said to me, Tony, I believe goal scorers are born with something. Yes. But what I can teach is I can teach a player how to get open. I can teach a player how to position themselves. And I can teach a player where to go, where goals are scored. I can also teach a player how to work on their shot, whether it's their wrist shot, whether it's their snapshot, whether it's their slap shot. And so Mike was a wealth of information. And for me, a young man who had broke into the radio world a couple of years in, I felt like I was going to Harvard University when I would go by and see Mike Bossy, and he would talk to me about, you know, ability to get open, ability to score goals. How do you make a power play run? When the Canadians' power play was struggling, he would give me his opinion on what was not working with the power play and what should be done to fix it. Oh, man, I feel so privileged to have had those conversations, you know? Well, you should feel privileged. You know, uh, Mike's uh, brother, the late Pat Bossy, coached me in minor hockey. So, you know, we had had lots of uh, opportunity to, you know, Mike was only scoring 50 or more every year from the time he entered the league. So, you know, I always felt fortunate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he, 38, I think, 38 or 39, when he had to retire, you talk about paying the price. He paid the price with his back. He just couldn't do it anymore. Uh, You know, one of my, one of my, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, one of my favorite stories about Mike and, uh, and my dad was running Central Scouting and this was in his draft year in 1977. So I was 14 years old, 13 or 14 years old. And uh, we were going, I was, I tagged along with my dad. We were going to Trois-Rivières and uh, Michel Bergeron was a coach. Yeah. Laval was a middle, the middle of the middle of the, uh, of the standings team. And they, they had Mike, who was a great, great player. And Trois-Rivières was tough and talented and good. And the, and the game was very different back then. Anyway, we go into, uh, 
after the game, my dad says, I got to go down. I got to go down after the game and I got to talk to Michelle. So I tag along with my dad and one of the coach's office and Michelle comes in and, you know, it's one of those games. They knew they had to stop Mike Bossy, Trois-Rivières, I believe won, but it was a tough, hard game. And I'll never forget that they're talking about Bossy and Michel Bergeron stands up. He goes, my father's name was Jack. He goes, Jack, he goes, I tell you this. He goes, you could take your stick and hit it right over the top of Mike Bossy's head. He would still score three goals. <laughs> like <laughs> Mike Bossy wasn't only a great goal scorer. He was tough and he paid a price. You know, he paid a price where he couldn't have uh, a longer career because if anybody was going to score a thousand goals in the National Hockey League, it was going to be Mike Bossy. That's who was going to score a thousand because what he was able to do and you know, I, you, you tell me that story about Mike, and I, I had lots of opportunities over the years, you know, when I was a little bit younger and certainly over the years to spend time with Mike, and there was never a bad uh, exchange with Mike Bossy. It was always wonderful. But it disappoints me to hear that somebody wouldn't want to tap into Mike Bossy. I would just like to have Mike Bossy standing around with me, just sitting there telling me, like, you know what you're doing. And it, it becomes disappointing that, uh, you, you know, somebody of Mike Bossy's, uh, personality because he's a great person, somebody that, you know, all he wanted to do was try to help a team. And certainly when you think about his experiences, the, the question is, the, the begs to be asked is why the hell wouldn't you want Mike Bossy with your team? And, and guess what? There's no good answer to say no. Yeah. In the mid nineties, if you recall, uh, and the Canadians, um, Ronald Corey fired Serge Savard and fired Jacques the, the mayors and then brought in, Rajon Houle as general manager and Mario Tremblay as coach and Yvonne Cornway uh, as assistant along with Steve Shutt. They had Steve Shutt who was, had, you know, bringing that element, right? He was there to help the Canadians power play and to try and help them score goals. So they went down that route in the mid 90s, but unfortunately they did not want to go down that route in the early 2000s when Mike Bossy had, had, had you know, had offered his services. Uh, but anyway, let's let's move on from that. But speaking of which, uh, can I just interject for one question? Sure, but please, just, do. please do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just thanks for thanks for allowing me that. You know, we started off talking about Slavkovsky and and hiring a shooting coach. Yeah, like and, and it was and and then we're, here we are talking about Mike Bossy, right? Like I yeah, mean, yeah, it, yeah. There it is, right there. There it is. A, a player that's determined to get better, and, and and now you seek out somebody that can help you, <laughs> like. There's there's lots of qualified people, but if Mike Bossy's offering his services to help my young players learn how to shoot better, how to get open yeah. better. Like, thank you very much, Mike. How much do we have to pay you? And don't be afraid to fill out this blank check because it's going to pay off dividends that are going to be significant. Yeah, but there's uh, and and look, you can tell our listeners this more than I can. But entering the National Hockey League, of course, in any role is extremely difficult. But, Craig, they say the way to do it is you need an in, right? You need a friendship, right? You need an ally. People tend to bring in their friends, you know, correct? Okay, so you bring in your friends. There's nothing wrong with bringing in people that you know and that, get, and that you trust and everything, right? But at the same time, that doesn't mean, like, you tell me you didn't know Mike Bossy? Like I could understand if like somebody of Joe Mickelschmidt from, from Eau Claire, Wisconsin phones up and goes, Hey, listen, I really want to help your power play. I really think that I could, uh, you know, be, be an aid to you. Like I get that, that like, okay, he, he might need a little bit of an in and he might have to take a different path, but Mike bossy, like, give me a break. Yeah, 
Yeah, like, yeah, and, I hear like, you. No, sorry. Like, you know, and if you want to, and, and there's nothing wrong with hiring your friends, then at, at the end of it, then, and, and I see it all the time. I see it in every walk of life. Like, you know what? If you want to hire your friends, they better be able to help you. Because at the end of the day, if they don't help you, you're not helping yourself, and you better be able to recognize it. I always go back, and I was really lucky uh, to work with Bob Ganey. And, you know, Bob Ganey told everybody, Here, here's your role, here's your job, here's what we need from you, here's the parameters on, under which we can operate. He was very, they were very clearly laid out for everybody. And, you know, things were and, – and, and he would always – you know, he didn't do it in a way. It was just – it was encouraging, but a reminder. You know, I'm not going to tell you how to do your job. We know what we want to get out of this area of our operation, and we're going to need to get results out of it and productivity. And, again, like I'm not going to tell you how to do your job. You're going to have to go about it within the parameters we set. But if we're not getting productivity, I'm going to have to look at getting somebody else in there. <laughs> Pretty clear, right? And too many people in every walk of life, Tony, don't do that. Like yeah. people, like, you know, have you heard the term people fall upwards? There's a lot of people yeah. that fall upwards that are incompetent. I a lot you. of them are now in the NFL. <laughs> we started this conversation on Slavkovsky, of course, a former first pick overall a couple of years ago. Speaking of picks, the Canadians now have 23 picks in the next couple of drafts. It's asset management at its best. At the same time, this is something that used to happen later on in the Mark Bergevin regime as well. Uh, asset management, trying to move a player and get two assets back, move a player, get three assets back, and then all of a sudden they pile up. But it only ends up being fruitful, Craig, if you end up drafting well and you end up developing well. Now, we know the Canadians, it's pretty encouraging what's going on with their development um, and their, their development department. The drafting is still up in the air because when it comes to drafting, it usually takes about five or six years before you can come to some kind of conclusion as to what you drafted and what the product is. But Kent Hughes took a little bit of heat by some when he traded Monaghan, he got a first round pick. And a lot of people said, why didn't you go after a prospect? You've told us all along, you wanted to accelerate the rebuild. You can accelerate the rebuild by getting prospects and not first round picks. He answered, well, the prospects that I asked for, the teams that I spoke to told me no deal. So he took the first round pick. But let's keep in mind, and it's something that you've talked about on a couple of occasions as well. How did they get Newhook? A couple of picks. How did they get Doc? A couple of picks. I think it's safe to say these 23 picks, they're not going to draft them all, and they're going to try and repeat the Doc Newhook experience. I think they have to. I don't think it's. I don't think it's speculation. I mean, you you look at a prospect cupboard with the shelves really well stocked. I mean, look, you got twenty three picks. You know, I, I I can look at at, at easily twelve to thirteen players in the prospect pool that I think have legitimate chances and 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 to to be NHL players, regular NHL players. I'm not talking about deeper. I'm talking twelve or thirteen legitimate players that can be regular NHL players. Regular. Regular. So how are you going to create room for all of them? You can't. It's impossible. You can't you can't sign them all and and and, and that's just that's just uh, Kent's right. I mean everybody says, oh get a prospect, you know, get this, get that. He he's absolutely right in terms of like I can ask. 
the other team can say no, and then I got to consider, okay, is there something different where I can get a prospect, or is this really what the market is for Sean Monahan? So he decides he makes a first-round draft pick. And it doesn't all have to happen now. It doesn't have to happen leading into the trade deadline. But what has to happen for Kent Hughes and the Montreal Canadiens is we we talk about uh, uh, draft capital, and I'll just use that term. They have draft capital. They, they can't use it just on drafting. They have to use that draft capital, as you pointed out, new hook, doc. They have to look at wh- wh- what they want to try to acquire, where they want to fill in different spots on their team, what the timelines are for some of these prospects. You, you're right. The 24 draft, the 25 draft, you're looking at 28, 29 before you can really legitimately start to say that these players are going to – and you're going to need players in 28 and 29. So I'm not suggesting you're, you're, you're trading all of them, but what you got to do is look at what you're, where you're at with your prospect pool, where you're at with your current team, and then look at where opportunity presents itself because there is going to be a lot of opportunity for Kent Hughes to be able to – use his draft capital to exploit opportunity. You know, there's teams, you know, the salary cap's going to go up, but there's teams that are still going to be sitting in spots where they're looking at players. Do we want to pay them that much? What's their arbitration case? Somebody else says, no, that's a player we're going to take a chance on. And certainly that's where the Montreal Canadiens, Kent Hughes and his management group can go. But they drafted well. They continue to develop well. They acquire picks. Now those things have to translate itself into the on ice and, and, and certainly to what you're going to do to make your team better. And, and, and we use terms like accelerate the rebuild. I mean, you, you can't accelerate the growth of young players, but what you can do is, is give them a little bit more what I call of uh, some, some bumper space where they can, you know, be in the minors and grow. You don't have to rush them into the lineup. They can continue to grow. I'll go back to the 70s, and, and you go back to, to Sammy Pollock running the team. I mean, a lot of those players were in Nova Scotia. They were with the Nova Scotia Warriors, you know, working. You know, they had players. I mean, Sammy had lots of first-round picks and second-round picks in Montreal. There was unlimited picks. You could keep drafting until you decided not to. But they also had the, the insulation for those for those young players to grow. And and I think that that's, that's something that works all together. It's not just about saying and, – and I've used this, this analogy, Tony – is that, you know, we've all been to events where you get drink tickets. You buy drink tickets, you buy a roll of drink tickets, they say, you know, here's 10 for 25, right? Well, at the end of the night, if you still have four in your pocket, they're not worth anything. You, you've already spent the money. And that's, and that's what I would say about all these drop picks. You have them in your pocket, now you got to figure out how you're going to use them to improve your team. Yeah, Nova Scotia Voyageurs. Evo Lambert? Larry Robinson? Um... <laughs> Uh, who was there else? There was uh, Steve Ken, Dryden, Ken, Ken Dryden. Ken Dryden, you know, Bunny you know they, they went down. Remember, they were drafting players at 20 back then. So 20-year-old players were going down there and playing, right? And, you, you know, you would think that they might be a little bit more ready for the NHL. But but they went down there and they played and, and, and they were developed and, you know, understood what they had to do. I mean, Guy Carboneau talks about it all the time. He, he was a top scorer. In, in, in the QMJHL in Shakutami. And he was down yeah. playing, and John Brophy was the coach. And John Brophy said to him, he, like, Guy was getting a little bit. I mean, he was a very determined person, still is. And Guy talked about, you know, I, I want to get to the NHL. I want to get, he goes, well, you're, you're, you better become a better defensive player. He goes, oh, look at my points. He goes, they got lots of guys that get points, Guy. They need players that can, that, that can play two ways. 
and Gee turned his game into he didn't lose the offense. He just turned his game and said, I'm going to be a really good defensive player. He became one of the best Selkie Trophy winner, Hall of Famer. So, yeah. you know, that that's development too. And certainly having a coach that's, that's going to work with your young players and tell you, hey, here's what we got to do. Here's what you got to do. And, and you go at it from that point of view. And I think that that's really important. So it wasn't just under Sammy Pollock. Guy Carbonell had to go through it, as did others. And, and that's something that's, yeah. that, that's really important to, to try to put your young players in positions where they're, when they come to the NHL, they're more ready than not. So – as of tomorrow, we will be um, exactly four weeks away because as of tomorrow, it's four Fridays after that, that NHL trade deadline day on Friday, March 8th. The Canadians have, in their final year of his contract, Tanner Pearson, who makes $3.25 million. He's UFA. He has a lot of NHL experience played a lot of playoff games, there's a player. But then they have players who everyone gets the feeling will not be here past next year's deadline. Jake Allen, Yoel Armia, David Savard, uh, Christian Dvorak, who's hurt. My question to you is, of those players who still have another year after this year, will exclude... Dvorak because he's hurt. And we'll talk about Jake Allen, Yoel Armia, and David Savard. Who do you think will be most in demand? And if one of the three is moved, who do you think that player will be and why? I don't think it'll be Armia. So I'll start by eliminating him. Uh, And then you got two very different players in positions with Jake Allen and, and David Savard. You know, they, obviously, you know, Jake Allen, I, I think I've, I've been saying this since the beginning of the season. I think the teams that are looking uh, for some goaltending stability, some goaltending help, I think Jake Allen would be a great addition. You know, there, there was lots of rumors uh, earlier in the year that teams had phoned and whatnot and whatever, but, but we know that he's still a member of the Montreal Canadiens, so that's all that matters. Uh, but, but I really believe that Jake Allen would – you know, really bolster a team's goaltending. And I think there's teams in the National Hockey League that need a, bull, a boost in the goaltending. And certainly, uh, you know, one of the, any, any number of those teams would be ones that should have Kent uh, Hughes' number on their speed dial. And then I go to David Savard. I mean, he, he's big, he's weighty, he, 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 he's won a Stanley Cup. He's the type of player you want in the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. He's a type of player that shrinks the ice, that makes life hard for opponents. You're not asking him to play a number one role. You know what? I think he'd be a great fit. Like, a great fit? Talk to the Winnipeg Jets. That's exactly the type of defenseman they could use. Don't even get me started about the Toronto Maple Leafs, because I'm not even sure the Toronto Maple Leafs know what they need. You know, it's as obvious as it all is to everybody. You know, but David Savard, like, I'm right now, and I'm looking at my team, and I'm looking and going – you know, what else can give me strength and, and, and what can we afford and what's the price going to be? I'd be phoning Kent Hughes on David Savard every day if I need that type of defenseman. Every single day. So I, I believe you've shared this story on a couple of occasions on the podcast, but correct me if I get it wrong here. But I believe you said when you were in Calgary and you were the GM there, you had Tommy Albaline. Yep. And I believe you said it was Lula Morello 
here I could be wrong, who called you for Albaline, and at one point you said, listen, I don't want to move him. Why? Because I have four young defensemen, and he can really help them. Correct me if I'm wrong, if it wasn't Lamorello, by the way. No, um, you're, you're, and, you're absolutely correct. It's, it's, okay, it's, and, then, and then, so, so my question to you is, after having said what you just said, that for your other teams you would want David Savard, should the Canadians hold on to him because they have so many young defensemen like Jack Guy, like Struble, like Gooley, like Harris, like Barron, who right now is in Laval, uh, like, you know, Ryan Backer, who might join the team at the end of the season, like Lane Hudson, who might join the team at the end of the season, like Logan Mayu, who might get called up at the end of the season. Should the Canadians hold on to Savard for those reasons, or actually, should they trade him because they got to start making room for some of these players? No, that, listen, so now I just put on my other GMs in the league hat and said I'd be phoning Kent Hughes every day if I need that type of defenseman. Now I'm going to put on my GM Kent Hughes hat in Montreal, and I, and I would be saying the same, unless I get something that makes me say yes. And I'm talking about something that makes me say yes, not something that we're, okay, we're, get, we're getting something for him. And, and, and again, and, and I also, I, I went and talked to Tommy Abilene about it. I told Tommy what I was thinking and, and what we were trying to do. And certainly somebody of, of Tommy Abilene's uh, stature, certainly just a classy, classy person, you want to make sure that he's fully involved in those types of discussions. And he, he assured me that, no, this is a, the, like, I'm happy with that and, and understanding what I was trying to do and fully, fully uh, supportive and, and fully invested in, in that process. So if, if I'm if I'm in Montreal, I'm doing the same thing with David Savard. And I'm saying, hey, David, here's where we're at. You know, I think it's really important for you to be, to be here. If, if there's something that, you, you know, changes in your mind or something, you're, you know, I'll, I'll listen. But unless I get something that's really, really significant, which is what I told Lou, and then Lou joked a little bit, but, I mean, Lou did respect it once I told him what I was doing. That That's what I would be doing. But if I'm Kent... I'm keeping I'm keeping David Savard. I'm not looking to move David Savard. So so now I'm wearing the GM's hat in Montreal and I'm wearing the GM's hat elsewhere. I'm i like for Kevin Shovel Day off, I, I'm trying to find a way to get David Savard. I'm trying to find a way to get David Savard. If I'm the Tampa Bay Lightning, I'd like to get David Savard back. I yeah. know Sergeyev's <laughs> a left-handed defenseman and not a right-handed defenseman, but after losing Sergeyev last night, David Savard won a Stanley Cup with you, so there's familiarity there. He would not have to take a long time to get settled in. He'll probably go live at the same place he was living last time. Who knows? But, I mean, if I was well, Tampa that's a perfect Bay, example. Pretty, yeah, and, and now and now space has been created with long-term injury, right? So like yeah. you know, the cap goes up. You know, you have. You know that, that I mean that looked like a very serious injury for for Sergachev after coming off uh, what I believe was a 17 game absence. You know, gets hurt in his first yeah. game back. And so so there's room. You know, you got you got to have room. And certainly, you know, David Savard's contract if Sergachev is, is out long term, which it certainly looks like he's going to be, you can fit him in. And I, I, again, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning aren't here to fiddle with the dials. The, the Tampa Bay Lightning are looking to try to push along. I mean, they've had a really good season. They played without Vasilevsky for the first five or six weeks or so, and they have found a, a level of play that, that's got them right in the mix for the playoffs. And if they can strengthen themselves, who who really wants to play against the Tampa Bay Lightning again come playoff yeah. time? It's, it's, not, it's, it's not a fun exercise if, if you're a team – Looking uh, to play uh, a, a team with the with, with what I call the the hardened lessons, 
and, and, and the hard scars of playoff hockey. So that, that, that's another good example. But if, if I'm a GM somewhere else and I'm, I look at my team and I go, how do I strengthen my blue line? David Savard, Chris Tanef, those are guys I'm looking at hard. By the way, an Instagram post from Miguel Sergachev earlier in the day. Okay. And what does that say? A picture of him on the stretcher. It's been liked by over 31,000 people. It's generated about 2,300 comments. Oh, man, why me? Why now? After all the games missed, coming back and getting injured again feels unfair. It feels terrible. I'm trying to stay calm and positive, but it's impossible. After doing everything right, I get this. The universe is unpredictable, I guess, and has its own plans. But F the universe, man. I know I'll come back stronger, and I'll know I'll play better than before. But it's tough right now, and it's going to be tough tomorrow. We all fight our own battles, and this is mine. All win, always do. Pain meds are good, though. If I was in the forest by myself, I'd be dead. Crazy in it. Wanted to write how I feel here. Don't know why, but just wanted to let people that care about me know. I appreciate all of your messages. Thanks to the medical staff. I mean, it can't get any more honest than that, huh? Wow. wow. I mean, it moves you, doesn't it, Tony? Doesn't it move you? So, like, I, I, I haven't, I haven't spent a lot of time with with Mikhail in the last number of years, but as a young player coming up in the system, I, I got time to spend around him and got to know him a, a little bit. But I'm going to share a little story with you. And yeah. it'll tell you everything. Yeah, uh, and, and, and this tells you about Mikhail. I mean, he's a two-time Stanley Cup champion. I mean, everything that goes with it. But I will tell you this about, about Michelle, about Mikhail. So if you recall, uh, the, the under-18 uh, championship was in North Dakota in 2016. Yes. And the, and the Russian, the Russian under-18 team had been under suspicion of doping. So they didn't send their U18 team. They sent their U17 team. And that, that, that U17 team, Kim, Clem Costin was the captain of the U17 team. And the reason I bring that up. So they sent their U17 team. And, and you know, there was relegation there. Mikhail was playing in Windsor. And Windsor, and, and he along with a few other players, I think there was four of them, it ended up going and playing. They, they were they were eight. They, they were they were under eighteen players, not under seventy. But they went and played with Russia. And a lot of people told Mikhail, they said, "Why would you go and play there? You're, you're playing with young guys. You're going to get beat up. You're going to hurt your draft status." And this is what Mikhail said. He said, "You know, my country has given me a lot of opportunity to advance my career. To given me uh, a chance to be the best player I could be." He says. They need my help right now, and I'm going to go there. He goes, you know, however the draft turns out, I'm going to go there. The second part of that is then they asked him to be captain. And he said, I don't know these players like Clem knows them. He says, I'm going to support Clem. Clem should be the captain of the team because he's been the captain of this group and knows these players better than me. So what I'm going to go and do is just try to help my country maintain in the top pool, and I'm going to try to support Clem Costin. I don't know what more you need to know about Mikhail Sergachev. No. And uh, look, 
I don't want to rehash it, but I mean, I, I love Jonathan Drouin when he was at Tampa Bay Lightning. I thought he was a tremendous talent. I thought he was an unbelievable power play player. He was a tremendous talent going back to junior hockey, of course, when he played on the line with uh, with Nathan McKinnon and, and the Halifax Mooseheads. I don't have to tell you that. And when the Canadians got Drouin, I was ecstatic because I was told uh, by people very close to him that this is exactly what Drouin wanted. He wanted to be traded to the Canadians. It was his lifetime dream, and Drouin was going to perform extremely well under pressure. Unfortunately, we all saw what happened. He caved under the pressure in the spotlights of Montreal. He absolutely caved. Uh, but as much as anyone wanted to see Jonathan Drouin in a Montreal Canadiens uniform, what a huge price to pay to give up your ninth pick overall, who ended up being a fantastic pick in that draft, like just a fantastic pick. Oldie Ulevi went fifth to Vancouver. Sergachev went ninth to the Canadians. And if memory serves me well, Charlie McAvoy went 14th to the Bruins. The, um, the difficulty of the NHL draft, right? The ninth and 14th turned out to be so much better than the fifth. And that's why... The, the hardest thing to do in all the hockey as a guy who's been scouting all his life, Craig, I don't know. You probably agree with me. It's the job of an amateur scout, isn't it? Oh, it is. I mean, well, first of all, you're, you're looking at 17 and 18 year old kids who keep in mind are at the, are, are the best players at the level below the NHL. You're not drafting. I always joke about this. You're not drafting four goal scorers thinking they're going to be 40 goal scorers. You're drafting 50 goal scorers hoping they'll be 30 goal scorers. <laughs> That's what you're doing. Got it. You're drafting the yeah. best players. From the, and then the, the NHL, because of the demands, and you talk about it, and I, I watched Jonathan play from the time he was 14 with the Lac St. Louis Lions, and certainly an immense, you know, a, 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 a talent that, that doesn't come along very well. And, and, and certainly you, you don't know how players are going to respond to different pressures in different situations. And you, you might look and go, I want to play for the Montreal Canadiens more than anything. Then you start to think about what it means and everything. But And, and, and that happens. But but how about this one, Tony? How about this one? At four were the Edmonton Oilers. They had the jersey with Sergeyev's name on it. And at three, Columbus chose Pierre-Luc Dubois. And then the Edmonton Oilers panicked and took Pugliarvi. Think about Mikhail Chernyshev wow. in Edmonton. So you you can talk about a trade for 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 thing. And so you, you, that's a fact. <laughs> that's a fact. Sergei, that's Sergei a Chev. massive mistake. Yeah, Sergeyev in Edmonton uh, instead of Pugliarvi would have made uh, some of their uh, goalie uh, problems of the last couple of years seem a lot less, and who knows? They probably would have been able to win the Stanley Cup by now or would win one in the very near future. Hey, in ending, and this has been always so much fun, um, so we know that if you're another GM in the National Hockey League, you want David Savard. If you're Kent Hughes, do you trade David Savard? He's got a year left on his deal after this year at $3.5 million. You have young defensemen. He can groom them, but you have to make room for others. Do you trade David Savard? No, I don't. Uh, I'm, I'm, like I said, I would include David Savard in the conversation. I would tell him what I'm thinking. I would tell him, hey, listen, you know what? You're a really important part of our team. You're really important for our young defensemen. Keep in mind. All the defensemen you just mentioned all can be in the minors. <laughs> it's not like you have to make room for them on your they National can. League roster and you're, and you're worried about them losing losing them on waivers or whatnot. They can all go play in the minors. And we just talked about the Nova Scotia Voyagers. You know, there's yeah. nothing wrong with them going and playing in Laval. So, you know, go there. 
you know, you know, round out your game, get your game to a higher level, you know, become more NHL ready. And, and, and you want to be more NHL ready when your opportunity comes. And I think that David Savard would absolutely be that player that I want to be, you, you know, that, that insulation, that, that, that player that can help our younger players, that they can look to and just say, hey, listen, we got him. Because the other part of this too, are, are you going to throw that on Michael Matheson now by himself? Because now you're also going to isolate Michael Matheson. And, and do you want to do that? You know, I, I want Michael and, and, and I want David too uh, there to, to work with the young defenseman. You know, Caden Gooley's going to be a year older. And, and, you know, I think the world of Caden. And certainly now he'll be able to take on a little bit more. But when you start talking about Reinbacher and Mayu and even Struble and Lane Hudson and, 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 and these players – they're not, they all can't come in your lineup. And I didn't even mention Jack Eye or Harris or, or Barron. Yeah. You know, they, they, you can't just thrust them in there and expect them. It, it'll be like throwing somebody in the middle of the lake. And then if, if they've never learned, if, if they have, you know, you know, beginning swimming, which is what the NHL is about, and then asking them to get to shore. It's not that they're going to drown, but they're going to have to tread water. And, and, and that's yeah. not good for development. <laughs> The biggest question of all in ending, it's the last one. Okay. Chiefs or 49ers? Oh, listen, I'm all in on the Chiefs. I, I'm all in on Travis and uh, Taylor. And, uh, hey, listen, it's it's a love story on the field, back-to-back Super Bowl championships for the uh, for the for the Chiefs, and it's been a love story off the field. I mean, it's 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 great. And and and, and I want to say this, you know, yeah. you know, I I'm like you, Tony. You know, I'm watching all the shows, and everybody tells me about the San Francisco. The San Francisco 49ers never once, not once, in their championship game versus the Detroit Lions were they able to stop them. The Detroit Lions stopped themselves. Drop balls when they had first downs. A fumble. The San Francisco 49ers defense never stopped the Detroit Lions. And they're not going to stop the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. As uh, someone who has, uh oh, what do we got here? A Joe Montana autographed helmet. Not who bad. believes that if the 49ers win the Super Bowl and Brock Purdy does, this helmet will probably go down in value because now there's another 49ers quarterback winning it. I say. Go Chiefs, go! <laughs> <laughs> you're, you know what they call that, Tony? You know what they call that? They yeah. call they call that asset management. <laughs> yeah. You're just you're just trying to keep the value of your very significant asset high, as you very, should. <laughs> yeah. Special thanks to my buddy Mike Moretto for that beautiful birthday gift a couple of years ago. A Joe Montana autographed helmet. What a friend, huh? Uh, that that's quite a friend to give you a beautiful gift like that. Hey, Craig. One uh, question for you. Sure. I, I, yeah. I, are we going to get pictures from Inello from the uh, from the uh, from the Vegas Super Bowl? Are we, are we, we need pictures next week, don't yeah, we? Yeah. Don't we need we're, we're, we're the odd picture? Yeah, yeah. So he's he's got them all over social media. So yesterday he took one with Joe Flacco. That's a pretty nice oh. picture. His first night in Vegas, he took one of, with the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs. So they're having a really good time there. Thank you very much, Craig. Always a pleasure and a privilege. We'll talk to you again next week. Enjoy your Super Bowl. Thank, yeah, thank you very much, Tony.
All right, there you have it. Craig Button of uh, TSN, uh, the hockey analyst and director of scouting. Once again, special thanks to Energy Transportation Group, to Labita TB, and to Playground, our proud partners and sponsors. Love you all. I want to send a special shout-out as well to Charlie Cabrera over at OptimalStretchClinic.com. He takes care of my stretching, and as a matter of fact, earlier today, he was my personal trainer. I went in at 10 o'clock this morning and trying to lose the stomach Again, so he had me doing planks, he had me doing some cardio, he had me doing some weights, he had me doing some resistance bands, he had me doing everything. And uh, yeah, thank you, Charlie. I appreciate it very much. All right, and thank you to all of you watching my sick army, my sick community, all your fan engagement, your comments. If you like it, like it, share it with your friends, comment sick, S-I-C-K. Once again, uh, please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It's our way of feeling the love. Franiello, Sammy, and Juliana at Master Control, who are back or still in Vegas, they're Cavallaro on Marinero. Have a great night, everyone. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.